What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Undivided, episode number 54, The Stigma of Disability, which is brought to you by Audible.com. That's Audible.com, the world's leader in spoken audio, audiobooks, online periodicals and speeches. For all things spoken audio, head on over to Audible.com and head on over to the website Audible.com after the show this evening. And then a drop-down menu box on the right side, enter Life Coach Radio Network for a chance to win a free 30-day trial and other prizes from the sponsor of our program, Audible.com. That's Audible.com, the sponsor of Undivided here on the Life Coach Radio Network. And welcome in again to Undivided. This is episode 54, The Stigma of Disability, and we are live here at 701 on the East Coast. The date is Wednesday, September the 18th in the year 2019. And the disclaimer for tonight's program, the views of episode number 54 of Undivided, The Stigma of Disability, may not necessarily be the views of myself as host, Frank Jamiduri, my guest this evening, Kara Sachs, and may not necessarily be the views of the Life Coach Radio Network. I hope you all are doing well in the two weeks since we had Namrata on the show. We got so much uh, powerful feedback from that inspiring episode, and tonight I feel is going to be the same. Kara and I have planned this out for quite a while and have talked about this episode, and it's hard to believe that the night is now upon us as some of the shows that I, I plan for a long time tend to happen that way. And disability is a big thing. Disability, chronic illness, that's a, a big, big societal view, societal stigma. There's the perception versus the reality. There's a lot of gray areas we're going to discuss tonight. There's a struggle that some people have with it that others don't. And it's also not validated by other people. People have trouble empathizing with others, especially in this area. Some people experience it temporarily, like if you broke an arm or broke a leg, um, if you broke uh, a kneecap or something and had to be in a wheelchair for on a temporary basis, and you that may or may not change your viewpoint. I know people that it did, it gave them some insight, and I know other people that it still became more and more self-centered. It became more and more about them versus taking the uh, a more universal view of, of what people deal with on a daily basis. Uh, I saw something recently on social media uh, about a veteran who had his legs blown off um, in one of the, one of the wars, one of the uh, uh, campaigns in uh, Afghanistan, excuse me. And the quote was, you know, people ask me why I'm so happy without legs, uh, how I could be so happy and so patient. And I asked them, how can you be so impatient and so frustrated and so angry when you have legs, you know, how can you be that way with yours? Like you can walk really makes you think really makes you check yourself. 
society can be very skeptical of people that suffer from disabilities or chronic illnesses. Uh, a lot of people rely upon government assistance. We're going to talk about that tonight, that versus abuse of government systems or perceived abuse of those programs. Oh, those people are milking the program. They're milking disability or whatever. The United States also has a different view on disabilities than in the European Union or in Asia and other parts of the world where people with disabilities are given a lot of respect from society, are given a lot of accommodation. In my own situation, I had to fight for accommodations to be made for people with disabilities on my college campus when I was in a role in student government because there were no accommodations there. We're going to talk about the role of social media, and we're also going to talk about painkillers and some of the abuse of painkillers in this area, and which is particularly relevant with the news of Purdue Pharmaceuticals going bankrupt uh, just two days ago. So my special guest for this episode will be Kara Sachs. Kara works with clients with chronic illness to help them lead fulfilled lives. She earned a BA in psychology and two certifications from IPAC, her CPC and her ELIMP. Ms. Sachs also studied and worked as an American Sign Language and English interpreter and a peer advocate counselor for disability rights organization. She is passionate about helping those with chronic illness because she has personally experienced several major chronic illnesses. She deals with them and will share some of her own experience tonight. She's going to guide us through. She lives in Vermont. Kara lives in Vermont and can be reached on our website for more information. Kara Sachs, welcome to Undivided. Hi, Frank. Can you hear me okay? I can. How about oh, on yay. this side? <laughs> Oh, good. I know. (laughs) That's uh, one thing down, right? Yeah. Oh, that's always a relief. It's the moment of truth, as I say, when I bring people on. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. Oh, absolutely. I know the audience is too. And I've heard from people today in the lead up to the show. Uh, about, oh, I struggle with this or that, I can't wait to to hear this, or I'm a special ed teacher, I can't wait to hear the episode. So I know there's a lot of uh, anticipation uh, for the episode as well. So uh, I'm really blessed to have Kara aboard, and we're going to jump right into the divide segment, as we usually do, the first segment of our show, looking at the divide in society around the topic. And as I alluded to in the intro of the show, You know, many people with chronic illness or disabilities are relying upon government assistance, SSI, SSD, some other type of assistance program. How do these programs negatively affect the individual and perpetuate the stigma around those with disabilities? Well, just to um, recognize at first what you said, that not all disabled people are on disability uh, because it's, it's, Number one, it's very hard to qualify for disability. Uh, about 60% of the people who apply are actually denied. Um, and the criteria are, are very, stri- uh, very strict. Um, and when you think about this, you think about you go to a party or you meet somebody new. And what's, you know, one of the first questions that you ask, what do you do? Uh-huh. When you're, yeah, when your answer is, um, well, I'm disabled, 
there's an immediate shift in how that person that you're talking with responds. Even if there's nothing verbal, you can see in their face, something goes, "Uh uh-huh. And, you know, I've, I've had enough experience that I know what's going through their head. And a lot of times it's about, uh, okay, uh, you look fine. You know, you're standing here or sitting here talking with me. Uh, You look fine. Why are you on disability? And, oh, gee, you must be, you know, uh, milking the system. You must be faking it. And, you know, I'd like to uh, address that in terms of that, um, you know, there's this stereotype of, Uh, the quote, welfare queen of people cheating the system. Um, And that's actually not the reality of what happens. Usually it's uh, people with chronic illnesses and disabilities are actually denied benefits or in due process for, for benefits that they, they actually do qualify for. Um, And there's also the assumptions that, Oh, disabled people are lazy or I've heard people say, oh, God, it must be nice to not have to work. And the reality is it's not about not needing to work. It's that you're not able to work. And we're going to get into that uh, more. Uh, and, Frank, you tell me if I'm going in a different direction or if you want uh, me to expand on anything here. No, I think that's oh. a good place to start, and we will. We'll get okay. that. That was a very good explanation. and. Um, I, I took some notes as I always do, and and I think it's a good place to start. We will we'll delve into some of those other areas because there's a lot here to unpack, mm-hmm. as they would say. Um, yeah, chronic yeah. illness. Well, I, I, if I can actually, I just wanted to make sure that I was on on track uh, with where you wanted to go, <laughs> but I do. I cool. we have some more comments on that actually, if that's okay. Oh yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so. I think it's if, if we're talking about this, a lot of times people will make a comment. They're like, oh, they're, you know, I, I've heard people say, oh, they're on the state. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, what are you talking about? And they go, well, well, you know, they're on disability. They're on the state. And I go, okay, number one, it's not the state. <laughs> it's federal. <laughs> um you know, et cetera. Oh, so, so I think it's it's important to to talk about what what is it that we're actually talking about. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, SSDI or Social Security Disability Income is the primary program that folks with disabilities might be on. It's also um, Supplemental Security Income or SSI, and those pr- two programs are very very different. Um, And so we're talking about the average SSDI or disability payment per month in uh, beginning of 2019 was $1,234. That's not a lot of money to live on. Uh, The average Mm -hmm. food stamp recipient gets about $126 per month or $1.40 per meal. And think about, you know, if you wanted to buy fresh vegetables and fruit and healthy protein and stuff, there's just no way. There's absolutely no way that you can do that sustainably. Um, So as far as the impact on the person, what it 
results in a lot of times is a feeling of hopelessness. You're not able to work towards your goals. Uh, it triggers and also perpetuates depression and anxiety. And it's, it's kind of, it means that you're kind of always living on the edge of total catastrophe uh, without like any safety nets because there just aren't any. Uh, it means that you're not able to save for major expenses or old age. And that the kind of paradoxical thing here is that being disabled is actually very, very expensive. Uh, there are many hidden costs. There's actually um, some hashtags that are trending on, on Twitter about this. Of One of them is uh, hashtag hidden costs of disability. Another one is hashtag crip tax. Um, and there's, you know, as everything from like wheelchairs, which may not be covered by insurance and parts, canes, walkers, splints, braces, um, dietary restrictions, hearing aids, transportation. I mean, like I could go on and on and on, you know, and, and it even comes down to that, you know, for people with like sensory issues or fragile skin, you know, have buying like cheap, uh, Cheap tissues, you know, uh, facial tissues or toilet paper will actually cause more problems. Uh, you know, if your skin tears easily or, you know, it's, if you have like hypersensitivity, using things like that is actually painful. So it's like, it's this kind of paradox of you have m much higher expenses in some ways and way less money to meet those expenses. That's a very good point. And I'm glad that you gave the backdrop too on, on the different programs. Cause I started thinking about it as I uh, asked a question that people may not know uh, the two different programs distinguish distinction between the two, excuse me. And the fact that, like you said, oh, they're living on the state. It's actually a federal program. So that I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of, um, misperceptions and misconceptions around who actually pays for what. I also like that you made the point that yeah. not everyone is on government assistance because it is hard. I, I knew somebody at one point that was so, um, I guess the word would be incapacitated that mm -hmm. they couldn't even like, per, like wrap their head around even doing the application to get the benefits. So it's oh, like yeah. that was so overwhelming <laughs> the process is. And it's so overwhelming that you're like, you know, you know what? I can't even deal with this right now um, because of the situation I'm in. You know, also the, the whole myth of the welfare queen. And then look at how much you, know, you can't eat healthy on that amount of money from food stamps. I've done some articles on that in the news media and, and on how it's the system's kind of set up to make people, you know, disempowered essentially and, and that they can't do anything to be healthy because they can't afford to. We're actually right on 7.15, so we're going to take a, a short break, and we'll be back as we continue the Divide segment. Uh, but a couple of promotions here that I have to do. We're at 7.15 here on the East. Undivided episode 54, The Stigma of Disabilities. We'll be back in a moment. Replenish me with Cordelia Gaffar. Cordelia Gaffar is the host. The show is Replenish Me. Just started her second season. She had a 
took a little bit of a break, Cordelia did, in the summertime. So the first episode of what she calls season two was on September the 11th. If you remember in our last episode, we promoted that show. Wednesday, September 25th is her next live show. So it's one week from tonight. Uh, Cordelia and I have been on opposite weeks for a while now. Replenish Me, Cordelia Gaffar, a week from tonight, Wednesday, September 25th, live at 7 p.m. on the Life Coach chat channel. And let's raise some money tonight. I'd like to remind you, Audible.com is our sponsor of our program. Uh, let's raise some money. We raised some money for Hurricane Dorian victims. They still need help. Catholic Charities, 800-919-9338. That's Catholic Charities, 800 800- 919-9338, www.salvationarmyus.org, that's salvationarmyus.org. Enter your zip code to donate to your local community or local area, or Google the poor zip code in your state and donate to them, or Google some areas that were affected by Hurricane Dorian and enter the zip codes to get the relief money to those who are suffering from that horrible natural disaster. And we are back here on Undivided, episode number 54, The Stigma of Disability. And, you know, we went to the break um, talking about chronic illness now. That's not a static situation, you know. Why do these programs tend to essentially penalize the progress of the individuals enrolled in them? Like you said, like it kind of sets you up to fail. Why, why do they do that? Uh, but that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure on the why, but I can tell you more about how. Um, okay. Because, so, I mean, human nature is to, to strive, to grow, to improve your life and your situation. That's true of everyone. And it's the same for chronically ill and disabled folks and or disabled folks. Um, so, the, you know, generally the way of doing that is to work, right? And, and Social Security Disability does allow you to work some, uh, but there's an income cap. So it, with, uh, it, I think it, it helps to understand this of why and how really it, it traps people in poverty. So it sees disability in a very black and white terms. You either are or you're not. And let me explain how that works. So, so for this year, uh, 2019, the cap on earned income is $1,220 gross. Okay. So before taxes, before any deductions. So suppose let's, let's think through this in an example. So suppose you're getting the average SSDI payment, which is $1,234 and you work the absolute maximum which is, and you earn the $1,220, which is, you know, the absolute max. So before taxes and Medicare and prescription premiums and all of those things, you are bringing in then uh, $2,454. Here's the thing though, the, the cap, the $1,220, if you go over that by any amount, you suddenly are deemed not disabled and you are suddenly, you lose the entire SSDI. So at that point, suddenly you're just living on 
$1,221 or whatever, however much you went over, and that's gross. So your income gets cut in half. So, wow. you know, yeah. And, and like, especially if you have health issues of, you know, mental health or physical health of any way, it's not possible really to go from, you know, working an amount, you know, a number of hours in order to earn $1,220 to suddenly being able to make up, you know, to, to suddenly er- earning double that. There just isn't a way of right. doing that, you know. Right. So it's, so it's going from time to full time. Yeah, yeah. So what what this means then is that the thought process is of a person who's on SSDI is that getting a raise is dangerous. <laughs> getting a promotion is dangerous, and it, you know all of these things that are seen as positive and desirable for the general public are usually dangerous. So if you think about this, you know, you're striving, you're trying to, you know, make, and you're starting to make some progress and you're, you know, feeling good. And, and the thing is, is that once you are, you know, you have um, been approved for these programs, it's, it's not like carte blanche. Okay. You have to reapply on a regular basis with um, at least in my state in uh, Medicaid, usually you reapply every six months. If you begin to work uh, in a, in a um, capacity that's approved by Medicaid, then it's uh, once a year, but then you also get reviews, work reviews and disability reviews from social security. So you're, you're like, doing well and you're striving and you're making some progress and then all of a sudden you get this paperwork in the mail and you go oh right okay so now I have to prove again how poor I am how sad my life is how tragic how hopeless etc you know in order just to survive so it keeps people really entrenched in despair hopelessness helplessness frustration and anger. And the really key thing that people don't realize about this is that those feelings are in, in coaching terms are what we call catabolic. And what they do is they actually physically break down your tissue, the tissues in your body. So your body's basically eating itself in order to uh, be able to respond to a stressor. So, so keeping people entrenched in those feelings is actually uh, making their health worse. It is, and it's very sad. It's very sad that that happens. And then you have the public perception of the programs that I alluded to in the opening too about you know this, there tends to be a certain amount of fraud that people think exists. People think that you know we both said milking the system. How mm-hmm. accurate is that assessment? It's actually not at all accurate. Um, I, when I started <laughs> to do research on that, um, the fraud rates that that uh, I found were that it's less than one percent. Um, wow. And I, yeah, exactly. And I think this the perception of people, you know, uh, milking the system is. It's based on the belief that disabilities and chronic illnesses can be seen externally. 
And the thing is, is that most of them you can't. Even And mm-hmm. even if you know somebody, even if you're with somebody 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, for the person's entire life, you still don't know what their internal experience is. You can't see pain or fatigue or nausea or dizziness. And the, and the thing is, is that the longer somebody experiences those kinds of symptoms, the better we get at hiding them. So if you see somebody, you know, okay, you see them for a few hours, for a few days, and they look fine, and they're being active, it doesn't mean that they're not disabled. Being able to travel, if you see, you know, somebody traveling, it doesn't mean that you can hold down a full-time job. And the other thing is, is that you don't know how that person actually pays, you know, the, the price for that doing that activity, going out for a few hours might mean that they can't get out of bed for a week after that. Um, and the other thing that I found was really interesting is that if, if it was really actually healthy people on disability who were milking the system, there wouldn't be such a high death rate of, uh, for people on SSDI because for people on SSDI, uh, the death rate is three to six times more uh, higher than uh, for other people in their age group who are not on SSDI. Wow, three to six times higher. That's an interesting stat. Yeah. And exactly. Yeah. That wouldn't happen if, you know, they were, if they were quote unquote, okay. And it's, there, there is, there's this big miscommunication or disconnect around that and that you see somebody out or you might see somebody as a, you're right. They might, that they might put a value on going out and then they're not going to do anything for the rest of the week because they can't, but that's going to be important enough for them to kind of rally as my mom would say. Uh, used to say uh, to do something, you know, and and what you had exactly. alluded to before, you know, with the income caps and things like that, and going over by a dollar, you know, then you end up losing that benefit. Un- unemployment insurance operates in a similar way, you know, if you work part time, they withhold a certain amount of the benefit money. Some people know this, some people don't. This can be both good and bad because it can disrupt the family budget. I know somebody that was on unemployment insurance and worked part-time so that they could stretch the, cause they give you a total amount of money over a certain amount of time. But then if, mm-hmm. if there's still money left, then it expands the amount of time you could be on unemployment insurance because there's like a lump sum that you pay down, but that mm-hmm. can mess up a family budget. It could cause late bills. It could hurt credit ratings because that, you know, that person was working part-time and then so that benefit money was withheld and they didn't get paid and the bills came in and they were, they didn't get paid from their part-time job. They didn't have the right amount of benefit money and it caused a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. What is a graduated benefit solution? Cause I know we've talked about this off, off air. What is a graduated mm-hmm. benefit solution and can it work? So just to address the whole thing of um, how, unemployment insurance might be similar. It is a little different with SSCI because when, when you start to work part-time, your expenses change. You lose food stamps. If you're in subsidized housing, your rent goes up. You lose fuel assistance. 
and you lose any subsidy you might have for healthcare premiums. So, so your expenses will expand to take up a lot of what you're earning in a job. And the impact of this is that people are afraid to even try to work, uh, you know, right. also because, yeah, because they, they're afraid that they're, they're well, they, they know they'll lose benefits and they're afraid that they might go over the cap and then suddenly be, you know, in real trouble. And when you have unpredictable health, it, it's even more precarious and scary because, you know, if you're working and the stress of being in a job will impact, uh, you know, a, a, the body of a person who's disabled and or chronically ill more than it would uh, somebody who's healthy. Um, so, and, and also, you know, you're, when you're disabled, you, you're at a higher risk of being fired, even with the, the Americans with Disabilities Act in place. It's, you know, uh, companies, organizations, et cetera, find ways around it, unfortunately. So as far as a graduated solution is, I think if people knew that they could still survive, pay their bills, have them, you know, essential medical care, they would be more willing to try to work. So if a graduate solution, it must be beneficial enough financially to be motivating, that it would actually give them, you know, something more than just, you know, being able to pay the increases in their costs. So if we allowed graduated payments, number one, it would pave the way for a person to, to be able to get off of benefits. The current structure, it, it, it's prohibitive. It makes it next to impossible. And even if the person never gets off SSDI, it would still save money for the government because if they could get, you know, if they could earn more uh, money and get a reduced benefit payment, you know, I mean, if you reduce it by even, you know, 30%, that's still 30% that the person wouldn't even, you know, would have continued to get because they were afraid to even try to work. Um, so, and, and this would uh, provide also an Im improved standard of living for that person, you know, um, and also really quality of life, uh, improved self-esteem, a sense of purpose. They'd be less isolated. And, and that stigma, that question that comes when you meet somebody new, what do you do? Instead of saying, I'm disabled and I'm not working, you can say, oh, I work for this company. And it, it changes the whole conversation. So there is this idea that's been floated of um, in, in all kinds of, in many different countries and in many different areas um, of un, what's called universal basic income or UBI. And the research that's been done on it so far is, um, shows that it doesn't actually reduce the motivation to work and it improves health and it reduces stress levels. Really great information. You know, it's re really, really great information for the audience. Very important to uh, make those distinctions. Uh, social media plays a role in the divide on this topic too. Uh, some people have had their social media accounts monitored while on benefit. Some see this as an invasion of privacy. 
Some mm-hmm. think social media is stagehand. We've talked about that a lot on this program in prior episodes, the role of the media episode. There's been a lot of other episodes too. Mm-hmm. Uh, stagehand is show only positive events in people's lives and, and leave out the bad stuff, you know, what's ever going on behind the curtain. Can you elaborate mm-hmm. on this component of the issue? Are you okay? I heard you coughing. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, I just have a tickle in my throat. That's how many years. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of fear around that, and it's and it's a different kind of fear than you might think, because having people's social media be monitored is a guaranteed way, absolutely guaranteed way to increase the divide that already exists. Uh, and let me explain why that is. That I mean, the nature of social media is is. Right, like you said, it's to show the best part of our lives. And for people with chronic illnesses, uh, social media is used also in a very different way. That, you know, when you can't get out as easily, when you are, you know, when you have what we call pain somnia, you're awake all night because you're in pain and you can't sleep. You know, you go on social media, there's someone somewhere in the world that you can talk with. So for us, social media, it becomes our connection, our family, a resource, uh, support. And, you know, especially when you're struggling, really struggling with your health, sometimes you can find better answers from people who have the same illness that you have than maybe from, from even the medical community, especially if it's like a rare illness. So it's, so, so social media is, is for us is like, it's crucial so if if our social media starts to get monitored with you know potential you know disastrous repercussions you know there's i think there's three possible ways this could play out one is that the person doesn't change how they uh you know post on social media they continue to exercise their right to free speech and they lose their benefits their life uh is probably at risk then and i mean it's catastrophic a second option or possibility would be that, you know, to protect themselves, they disconnect from social media. And that then, you know, like I said, social media often is our family. It's our, you know, uh, often people talk more with, with other folks on social media than they would actually see uh, in real life or talk to even on the phone. So, that if if you disconnect from social media, the person becomes incredibly isolated, lonely, depressed, fearful. Uh, you know, so it's 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 not a good situation. So what about if if the the third possible way that I can see that this would play out is if the person changed the content of their posts to show ourselves at our worst, which means showing the pain the fatigue, the desperation, the loneliness, fear, depression, anxiety, trauma, all of that stuff. Think about that. If you had a friend who was, that's what they were posting and that's all that they were posting pretty much, uh, you'd be kind of like, okay, I don't even want to see this person anymore. You know, it's, it's like all you see is a constant stream of pain and hardship. You know, that's really hard to be around. And so the person would then end up probably losing relationships and also becoming more isolated and lonely because of that. 
So as far as I can see, you know, monitoring social media to determine, you know, how able or disabled somebody is, it's, it's an absolutely guaranteed way of harming uh, people with chronic illnesses and disabilities. What a great answer. We're a few minutes beyond. We're at 735, but I thought it was great. I wanted to keep the conversation going. We're going to take our midpoint of the show break. Some excellent information being laid out for the audience, and hopefully we'll change people's minds on the subject. Episode 54, The Stigma of Disabilities Here on Undivided, comes back in a moment. Some upcoming show promotions for you on the networks of Life Coach Radio. Money Magic. Money Magic is the show. Gol Khan is the host. Money Magic with Gol Khan. Tuesday, September 24th is the next new episode. It's live at 4 p.m. here on the East Coast. Gol does her show live from London. It's 4 p.m. on the East. It's uh, do your time zone here from there. Money Magic, Gol Khan, Tuesday, September 24th, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Life Coach Chat Channel. And Erica Wiederleit, Erica Wiederleit Show, Mondays twice a month. 11.30 a.m. Eastern. It's a morning show live on the Life Coach Chat Channel. Check out the website or her website, wethelight.com, for more information on her practice and on her show. And speaking of being the light to those who are in darkness, <clears throat> some of you out there are suffering with chronic illness or disability. If you feel isolated, as we've talked about tonight, if you're hurting or lonely or alone, if you're in pain and you don't see a way out, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, they would like to remind you that you matter, that everyone is created, created with a purpose, created by God. Their number is 800-273-8255. So if you're hurting, if you're alone, if you're maybe a caretaker for someone that's disabled and you're having problems and you're thinking about doing something or harming yourself, if you're in a wheelchair, if you're in desperate situation, please call the number, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. Please get help. Samaritanspurse.org, that's Samaritanspurse.org, or 828-262-1980 to reach that wonderful organization and help those in need. We're back here on Undivided, Episode 54 the stigma of disability, Kara Sachs, is along with me, and we're going to go to the Bridging the Divide segment. I'm going to open the phone lines now. The phone number is 646-716-9397. I'll repeat that number, 646-716-9397, to call in for a question or comment for Kara and myself. You can also DM me on Twitter at F-M-A-D-U-R-I, or you can email me as I've been checking the emails throughout the show. That's undividedshow at gmail.com. So now, Kara, how do we bridge the divide between people who are struggling on a very limited budget on the government benefits, as we explained earlier? Those who feel that they want to try to move forward and work, but the system essentially rewards you for staying inactive. Those who feel that people, quote, unquote, game the system or built benefits, those who don't understand disability or chronic illness feel that it should be cut and dry, as well as those who feel individuals with disabilities or chronic illness abuse painkillers. I know it's a big question. There's a couple of different <laughs> components to it. And I do this to the guests. This is always their favorite part of the show. So 
try and tackle it, and we'll take it from there. Uh, well, yeah, that's quite a question. Um, I just I would like to make one uh, little comment first that I don't think the system it, it doesn't reward people for staying inactive, but it does penalize people for trying to improve our lives. And I think there's a, a, a real difference there. Yeah. Yes, that's a very good distinction. But there are there are people out there that have told me, oh, they're, you know, uh, I feel like I get, uh, you know, penalized for trying to make my life better. So that's a good mm-hmm. way of, of putting it out there. Yeah. So, so in just thinking about your question, that's a whole bunch of different groups of folks. Um, I would like to look for just a second about the whole thing of, you know, are people with disabilities and or chronic illnesses abusing pain meds, um, opiates, you, you know, it's usually what people are thinking of. Um, mm-hmm. And if, if folks are interested, I, you know, there's an article on my website that I was asked to write for uh, Vermont Coalition for Disability Rights about opiates and chronic pain and looking at, uh, you know, the thought process and the assumptions that people have about that and providing some, some more uh, concrete facts. Uh, I'll just touch on a few of them very quickly. One is that uh, for somebody with chronic pain, opiates don't make us high. They don't. I, like I had to look it up. Do, are, do opiates make people high? <laughs> like seriously, I was like, <laughs> I was like going, is that what they're supposed to do? I don't know. And I've never talked with a single person with chronic pain who's ever felt high from their pain meds. Um, uh, and and it doesn't eliminate the pain either. All it does is it dials it down a few notches. So if somebody's pain level is like a nine, it might bring it down to a seven, so that they can mm-hmm. uh, you know function better, have more uh, access to their mental capabilities, et cetera, be able to move a little bit more. Um, and also the clarification that yes, when you use uh, opiates long term on a regular basis, uh, you, you do develop a physical dependency. However, a physical dependency is different than an addiction. Uh, an addiction involves a, a psychological need for the drug in addition to the physical need. Um, and the thing is, is this is the really interesting thing, is that uh, in people with chronic pain, the rates of misusing opiates and addiction are very, very low. Um, and uh, I think we, we know how precious they are. And so it's incredibly rare for a chronic pain patient to misuse them. Uh, the one exception to this, I think, is when people are on long-term effective pain management, they're responsible and they get cut off, which is happening more and more and more, they become desperate. And uh, usually there's one of two avenues that people might uh, go down. One is suicide. The other one is to seek out street drugs to get some kind of relief. And because those aren't regulated, it's very easy to overdose. Um, So, yeah, and and most people who started their addiction with prescription drugs never had a legal prescription. So, so yeah, I think that's important to to look at. And um, there's an, like I said, there's an article on my website about that that I wrote. Um, in getting back to your question, 
um, of, you know, how do we start to bridge this divide? I think what you're talking about here is basically looking at, you know, what, what is, what is the core uh, issue here is, is stereotypes and unconscious biases. So the thing to understand about stereotypes is that they're actually a really helpful thing for our brains because we encounter millions, probably billions of pieces of data every single day. So your brain needs a way to process them more efficiently. So a stereotype is actually an energy saving mechanism for your brain. And that's not necessarily bad. Uh, When it becomes problematic is when we continually rely on those stereotypes and don't look past them. And we, you know, we all have unconscious biases, all, every single one of us, Um, (laughs) you know, and, and the thing to, to realize is that unconscious bias is not about open discrimination. It's about things that are really, really subtle, like, your body language, like how much you smile at somebody. If you lean forward when you're listening to them versus, you know, maybe not leaning forward to uh, so much. It's about eye contact. It's very, very subtle things that you may, that you probably don't even realize you're doing differently with different people, but they all influence that interaction. And for people from marginalized groups, including Uh, you know, disabled and chronically ill folks, we've usually had a long history of really negative interactions with people. So we're always kind of scanning for danger, you know, and we're used to knowing that there are certain parts of us that we keep hidden. And we look for clues when we're talking with somebody uh, or just listening to somebody that will tell us, you know, okay, so what's, what's this, the attitude of this person, what are their biases, uh, you know, and, and, and judging whether, okay, is it, how safe is it for me to, to actually say something about what my life is really like? Uh, and with, when you have unconscious biases, that body language, it, it, it's your, you're uh, communicating without realizing it. Uh the, the message that, okay, I'm not as safe to talk to. So people will be more guarded around you. So you probably aren't hearing the reality of people's lives. And there's many different types of biases. And, you know, one of them is um, an affinity bias, which is basically that we favor people that we have things in common with, or that we think we have things in common with. Uh, there's also a confirmation bias, which is our tendency to like go, okay, Here's what I think, you know, I think that people with, you know, chronic illness are, you know, they're milking the system, they, they don't really need the money, they're, you know, they're, they're um, malingering. And if that, if you go into a, a conversation or an interaction with that uh, um, preconceived notion, what a confirmation bias does is you will subconsciously look for things to support that you will interpret things in a way that support that belief. You'll focus on and remember the things that support that belief, but you won't remember the things that, that go against it. So there's, you know, there's many different um, types of biases, but it, there, it's really interesting to start to look at how do these 
uh, impact all of our interactions with, with everybody, really. Um, and the thing about, as I was thinking about this, how, how do I answer this? The thing about biases that's really interesting is that they, they line right up with, uh, in, when, in coaching, what we call internal energy blocks. And the three that they, they mm-hmm. align with most, uh, most closely are limiting beliefs, which is something that we've been taught about the world um, or ourselves that we believe to be true. And, you know, that's absolutely a bias right there. That's stigma. Uh, interpretations is something that a story we tell ourselves about why something or someone is the way that they are and that we believe it to be true whether it is or not is, you know, up to debate and also assumptions because, you know, the, the belief that, Oh, okay, well this other person, you know, they, I think they were cheating the system or this other person got prosecuted for, you know, receiving more benefits than they were supposed to or whatever. Cause there's, you know, there are a few famous cases and that that's the belief that just because it happened, you know, just because that person did it, well, it's going to happen again. And probably a lot of people are doing it. And that may not actually be true at all. So as, as coaches, we know that these energy blocks, they're false. Um, there's, there's something that's uh, been given power within our own minds. And we have the choice and the power to question them and to change them. Uh, and I think I think this is also worth um, commenting on that, especially with disability. I I think it's important to recognize that there's a fear component. It's it's like an existential fear that people don't want to think about the realization that I could, you know, go out to my car and get in my car and be in a horrific accident and. I would be in your shoes for the rest of my life or step off a curb or become very sick. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a scary thing to think about that. You know, I could easily become you. And so it's, I think it feels safer and more protected to think in terms of us and them. It does. It does. We're a very us versus them type of society. You know, we think about that in a lot of different terms. Um, Different things can be that way. Campaigns for public office, things like that. It's us versus them mentality. Uh, Mm -hmm. Thank you for taking on that answer and for, you know, the unconscious bias is something I want to get into maybe before we close for the night, because I think it's, it brings up something very interesting, but um, you know, because mm-hmm. I've been in situations where even just like hiring people, you know, organizationally, we talk about unconscious bias. Like, you know, are we going to hire people that look and talk and act like us because we're comfortable with that? And that's a really big question in a room when you're in a room of people and we're trying to make hiring decisions. So that's what it made me think of. What is mm-hmm. the spoon theory? What is the spoon theory? And can you explain it to the audience and help? to help bridge some understanding of those living with chronic illness. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the spoon theory is something that at this point, I think most people with chronic illness have heard of and are very familiar with. It's basically, it's a, it's a story. Uh, well, it's not a story. It's, it, it's, 
it's a way of thinking about uh, your life. And it was created by um, a woman named Christine Miserandino, uh, if I'm saying that right. Um, and when she was trying to explain to her best friend, I think it was, of what it meant in her life to actually live with lupus. And, you know, some people relate more to a metaphor of a battery or a book of matches, but I think it's the spoon theory that's become really kind of the hallmark of um, conversations about chronic illness. So here's, here's what it means. When you're an abled person, is what I call, you know, people who are, um, don't have a chronic illness or disability in any way, um, you know, which is also debatable, um, you, you can you know, plan out, okay, I have 12 hours to do stuff. I can pretty much fill in as many activities as I can fit into that time-wise. Yeah, you might be tired, but you could do it. When you have a chronic illness, you, you, have, to, you have to think about your life and your day and your activities very, very differently. We have to make choices that the rest of the world never even thinks about. So, so here's an example. Uh, you know, so when a, when a chronically ill person starts their day, we're thinking about not here's all the things I want to get done, you know, which you know that might come up too. But well, the primary thing that comes up often is how much energy do I have? How severe are my symptoms today? How are those things likely to change through the day? Not from not from just doing stuff, but just from, you know, my illness. And so we start our day uh, by doing what we call counting our spoons, each spoon representing a very limited amount, the, the very limited amount of energy that's available to us. So here's, here's an example I'd like to take you through. So if you think of, if you had a bouquet of like 12 spoons and you might start the day with 12 spoons. It might be more or it might be less, but you never know. So first thing you do, you, you, you wake up, you're stiff, you're sore. You couldn't sleep last night. So you're running late and you wake up with a migraine. So immediately I'm going to take two spoons away from you out from your 12. So then, like, you need to take your meds in order to deal with all these symptoms. So you have to make some breakfast to be able to, you know, because you have to take your meds with some food. So you, so you make breakfast, you can take your meds. Okay, I'm going to take away another spoon from you because of that. So then, okay, I'm going to go take a shower and wash my hair and shave. Okay, well, that's going to cost you two more spoons. Okay, so then, okay, you have to, like, dry your hair and maybe put on makeup. Okay, that's at least one spoon, depending on how far over your head you have to lift your arms up, etc. Uh, then you have to plan your clothes for the day. And it's not just, oh, here's what I want to wear. This is going to look cute, whatever. It's, you have to think, okay, do I have a fever today? Am I feeling really intolerant to temperature? Am I getting cold and hot, uh, you know, back and forth really quickly? How is my skin sensitivity? How, you know, how are my hands feeling? Can I deal with buttons today? So all of those things you have to think about before you can even pick out your clothes and then you get dressed. So I'm going to take one more spoon from you. 
So you haven't even gotten a foot out the door and more than half of your available energy for the day is gone. This is what it means to live with a chronic illness. Now you might be able to borrow a spoon from tomorrow, but then that means you're already starting off tomorrow with fewer. So in real life terms, what this means is we have to choose sometimes between really basic activities. If I go grocery shopping, I won't be able to eat dinner. So, you know, in the, in the chronic illness community, what this has, it's, it's become a shorthand, uh, you know, without bringing up symptoms and, you know, like the nitty gritty, it's, you know, we'll say to somebody, I'm on my last spoon or I'm out of spoons and everybody understands it immediately. So it's, and it, and it, and it's kind of, you know, a way of bringing in a little humor also. And just to bring it back to an earlier question, Frank, that you brought up is, you know, that disabled person that, you, you know, you see going out dancing or maybe traveling across the country or something, only that person knows the true cost of that activity. They may have had to save their spoons for a week before, and then they'll be out of spoons for the whole following week. Uh, and, you know, when this is your entire life, you don't get any vacations from it. You don't get vacations from your illness. You don't get vacations from pain ever. You crave normalcy. You crave having fun. Just being being with people who don't see you as just your illness, but just just to just to be quote unquote normal. And sometimes, you know, you're willing to pay a really, really high price just for that short period of fun or normalcy. Wow. Really, really excellent. That's why I wanted to have that put out there on the show and, and have it be put out there to the audience that does not have experience with it because I think it puts it, the living with chronic illnesses, I think it puts it in a very tangible term and a very tangible framework of the spoons and the analogy of that and the, the visualization of, well, I'm going to take two spoons now, you know. I think that <laughs> helps people, I hope, to crystallize some thoughts around what the everyday grind really is with some of these illnesses and what some people ha- have to suffer with uh, on a day-to-day basis. Like I said, there is no break from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was very powerful, very important for the audience to to have an understanding of, and and that might help them uh, to have some empathy, some understanding for people, and and understanding what the actual cost is to even you know regular daily you know activities daily living as they would call it in social work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of the division here can be explained by the human aspect, right? Um, like you had said before, eliminating assumptions. You're talking about assumptions and interpretations and limiting beliefs and all these energy blocks we've talked about on the show, this show tonight and in other shows in the past in the series. You know, eliminating assumptions about people, what people can and cannot do, excuse me, as well as how they spend their money. So that what you just kind of touched on, so it's a good segue. Can you elaborate this for the audience? Yeah. So 
um, I think, you know, that there's this misconception about wheelchairs for one thing that uh, uh-huh. people automatically equate wheelchair with paralysis or, or possibly maybe somebody who's quite old and very sick. Um, but there, there's this automatic equation. And the thing is, is most wheelchair users can stand and walk a little bit. And, you know, so when you, you know, and, and there's this huge fear, and I see this all the time in, you know, people that I talk with all the time. Uh, okay, if I use a wheelchair and somebody sees me move, move my legs, or somebody sees me get up and, and get my wheelchair um, out of the trunk of my car and then sit in it, am I going to be harassed? And that does happen actually a lot. Um, you know, people have been harassed just for using their legal, you know, accessible parking placard uh, because they don't, quote unquote, look disabled. Um, So the thing about wheelchairs, and this is a a personal um, thing for me because I do have a wheelchair that I, uh, I don't use full time. And, you know, there, so there are part-time wheelchair users or what we might call ambulatory wheelchair users. And, you know, people think of wheelchairs as like a very serious, oh, it's medical equipment, except it's just a tool. And this is one of my favorite things to, to tell people is, you know, you could walk across the country. You know, you could probably, it would take a really long time and, you know, you'd probably, you know, end up in a lot of pain and hurting yourself maybe, you know, and, and if your goal is to prove that you can do it, awesome, go for it. But what if your goal is just to, to get across the country, to go to an event or to have fun or, you know, you know, just, just any other of the millions of reasons that people might want to get across the country? Well, there's all of these tools out there that would make it a lot faster and easier and less dangerous. You know, there's the cars and planes and trains, uh, buses even, you know, all of those things. And a wheelchair is no different. It's a tool that enables a person with a chronic illness and or disability to do more, to do things that we wouldn't normally be able to do. And, you know, I've had people say to me, but, but your wheelchair is going to, it's going to limit you. And the thing is, you have to, you have to change the starting point of where you're thinking about this. That for a person who has a reasonably healthy body, yeah, it would limit them. For me, it enables me because I can't do those things to start with. Uh, so I think, you know, your question about, um, you know, the perceptions of, of and the, the assumptions of uh, people with chronic illnesses, you know, the other thing is, is when you're judging on appearance, like I said, mm-hmm. you, you can't see what, you know, uh, what somebody's internal experience is. And just to use myself exactly. as a, 
just just to use myself very quickly as a as an example, um, I happen to have a genetic disorder that makes um, it, or one of the things that it can do is uh, to make my joints very easily uh, dislocate completely or partially. What's called subluxing is a partial dislocation, and it happens all the time. And nobody, 99.9% of the time, nobody will know if I have a bone that's slipping out of place in my foot because I'm so good at hiding it, but it's painful. And so when I use a wheelchair, not only does it save me spoons, but it, it reduces pain so that I can actually enjoy the things that I'm doing. Um, and Frank, you have to tell me about time here because I, I have so much to say. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I did, you know? Yeah, I think I, I do want to just very quickly touch on if it's okay. Um, the thing about, you know, how, how people on disability spend money. Uh, mm-hmm. Very important. <laughs> hope we go there. Yeah. So uh, abled or non-disabled people, however you choose to refer to them, uh, you you're more likely to have the potential to get ahead financially. When you're disabled and on uh, social security disability or another, you know, government program, you are trapped in poverty. You don't have generally any hope of not, of ever not being poor. So the way I think about it is you have very little comfort or, or sweetness in your life. Now, that's your every day, and then you receive a little windfall. You know that money is not going to lift you out of poverty. It's just not. It's going to be gone very quickly. So a way of making it kind of last is maybe buying that big screen TV, especially if you know that you you have days and weeks where you can't even get out of bed. It extends that that comfort and that sweetness of, of having a little bit extra. So I, it, I know that it's very difficult to understand this way of thinking. Um, and I didn't understand it until I was in that situation myself. And then it became really, really obvious. It's like, I have $10 right now that I'm not going to have tomorrow. It's not going to make a difference if I, if I put, try to put it in a savings account because I'm going to need to take it out anyways you know, to, to pay for something basic. So why don't I use it on something that's actually going to make me feel better, uh, you know, in the moment or even, you know, for the next week or something like that. So how do we make poor decisions? That's how. Um, and, you know, and everybody makes uh, decisions on based on our values. It's just that uh, when you're poor, disabled, chronically ill, your decisions become more scrutinized by strangers all the time. Yes, they do. Absolutely. And for something like that, that's a great analogy. Just think about if if someone is disabled and they were the main primary, uh, quote unquote, breadwinner, uh, or the two primary breadwinners, and you have a family with children that can't work, you know, buying that TV is going to be for the whole family too, uh, a way for them to spend time, a way for them to escape, 
uh, you know, a TV is a very powerful thing uh, to do uh, that with, you know, to watch a movie, to go to another place for a couple of hours. You know, I've talked about that in this show. We did a whole episode about the role of movies as a, uh, with leisure and with, you know, bringing different societal things to the forefront, uh, different issues to the forefront and independent film and that sort of thing. But for myself personally, I like I, I like watching a movie. I've, I've always been a big movie person. I like going to the movies when I can, and just you feel like you just totally escape from everything for two hours, and you don't think about it, and you go to another place, and that can help someone that feels constantly trapped in a situation. So it is. It's a different way of thinking, but I can understand, you know, some uh, some of of why that is. You know, and especially yeah. the families that are dealing with people that are, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and also, you know, when you're in pain all the time, you look for ways, of, you know, with, with no way of relieving it or very few ways. Mm-hmm. You look for, for distractions, and TV is a wonderful distraction for a lot of us. Yes, it is for sure. Now, what is... The role of coaching, we're at that point in the program, the role of coaching, uh, we always usually ask at this point, and helping to change the narrative on the stigma of disabilities and chronic illness in our society. Yeah, so, I mean, I think coaching, coaches are like at this beautiful place where we're helping people to, to make the unconscious conscious. And that's kind of the work that uh, is also involved in reducing bias and stigma. So, uh, you know, there, there really is no, as far as I can tell, and if somebody, if there is somebody tell me, please, um, there, there's no real positive in bias. Uh, and, you know, this, this, this energy saving mechanism that our brain uses out of necessity what we need to do is to kind of slow that down and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what's, what am I, you know, assuming here about this person or, you know, from a past experience, stop, slow down, look at the stereotypes that we've bought into. And also, you know, the limiting beliefs, assumptions, interpretations, that's what, you know, that's a big part of what coaches do because they, they, those things will, will harm your ability to be successful and to move ahead in your own life. But in this case, they also harm your ability to connect with other people. And I think it's worth saying this, that when, you know, inclusion and accessibility isn't just about giving a disabled or chronically ill person access to what we have to offer. It's also about, you know, being able to, to access what that person has to offer because people with disabilities and chronic illness, we have so much to offer. Uh, you know, I mean, if you think about Stephen Hawking, if something had been inaccessible for him, holy cow, what would we not know about the universe right now? It, it wasn't so much of like he needs to hear from us. It's that we needed to hear from him. Very good point. And, and finally tonight, 
the Common Ground piece. And so at this point in the show, we go to the segment on Common Ground. How can we find Common Ground on the stigma around those with disabilities and chronic illness between those who suffer, those who cast judgment on people, those who think it's all a quote-unquote a sham, and shift that black and white thinking of society, because society is the us versus them mentality, to one of harmony, empathy, and mutual respect? Oh, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is, is to, to, to really see that we are all the same. Uh, We all have the same basic needs, acceptance, curiosity, family, uh, independence, uh, romance, you know, social contact, all of these things that at our core, we all have the way we go about meeting those needs will look very different. And especially when you have a chronic illness uh, or disability, that will look very, very different. Um, I do think there's a few, um, I guess I could say etiquette (laughs) uh, things that I think people often see a mobility aid or other assistive device so like a cane or a wheelchair as like public property. Oh my God, this is a huge one. I see comments about it every, like every hour of every day on social media. Think about uh, a wheelchair or a cane as being somebody's leg. Would you grab somebody's leg and just move it for them without asking and receiving permission? Probably not. But it's, but somehow, (laughs) no, seriously, but, you know, I know people who've been seriously injured by somebody intending, you know, having good intentions, but not understanding that this person that they're just grabbing the wheelchair, you know, uh, and I'm just going to move you, that that person has uh, a thought process, has autonomy, has the ability to and the desire to say what happens in their own life. So I think it's just, just be aware that for us, uh, somebody who's using a mobility aid or other assistive device, it's part of our body. Um, And that can help uh, avoid a lot of really uncomfortable and even dangerous situations. Um, And I think, The the work really is about bringing awareness to our own unconscious biases, um, and and this is an ongoing process. Always, it's not like a one and done. Okay, I did it, and now I'm good. It's no, they're they're always there. Uh, and I, I think a big, a, a really important piece is, you know, remember the the affinity bias that you, we're more comfortable with people who are like us. Step outside mm-hmm. of that make an extra effort to seek out people with disabilities and chronic illnesses and don't assume that you know best. We are the experts on our lives and our needs. We just need people to to recognize and respect that. So listen, maybe stop talking and listen, ask questions, ask for clarification if you need it. 
and be willing to learn and be willing. And this is a hard one. And I, I know because I've done this, uh, be willing to acknowledge when you have hurt someone either individually as, or as a group and express a willingness to learn and because apologies without action are meaningless. Um, I think, you know, help to help us get in the door. Don't speak for us. Help us get in the door and to create a space, use your privilege to make a space for our voices to be heard and then work to amplify our voices. And something I learned recently, which I absolutely love is this idea of an ally is it, it's, it's something that people say, oh, I'm an ally to this community or whatever. The thing is, is being an ally, it's not something that you, it's not a designation you can give to yourself. It has to be earned and awarded by the people that you're trying, you're striving to be an ally to. And to think of it not as a noun or an adjective, to think of it as a verb, that it's, it's always looking at your actions and looking at how can I uh, take actions that will open the door for other people to have a voice. So I hope that answers your question, Frank. <laughs> it does very wonderfully too, I might add, very wonderfully. And I could really gives, uh, I think, the audience a lot to think about and to resonate with and to reflect upon. And uh, I call it self-evaluation, uh, being introspective about our own approach, our own uh, unconscious biases that we all carry with us, the, the lens in which we see the world, as we've talked so many times on this program about, uh, through coaching, you know, that perspective that we all have that's formed and how to to break that and and to or to reevaluate that and see if some changes need to be made uh, or not. Uh, yeah, and if I, very, just, very... if I can just make one more mm-hmm. comment really quickly, because I don't want people to think that, okay, they have to get it perfect. There is no perfect. That Mm-mm. we're all learners in this. Believe me, I screw up all the time, even around disability. Seriously. <laughs> you know, I go, oh, wait a minute. Whoops. There's, there's an assumption that I had that I didn't realize I had. Um, you know, so we're all learners in this. So just know that you're going to screw up and you know, it's okay. It, if you screw up and you don't recognize it, then it's a problem. If you screw up and you go, okay, whoops, there I go. Okay, what did I learn from that? Let me circle back. Let me try it again. Uh, let me be authentic and say, okay, I screwed up and, you know, help me learn. Then, you know, it really opens the door in so many ways for all of us. Very, very, very wonderful point. I want you to get in because I know we're running low on time. I want you to yeah, get in yeah. your uh practice and how people can reach you and anything you may have going on and I have to do the promotions and then we'll wrap up the show for the evening but (laughs) thanks for staying on a couple of minutes and thank you to the audience for staying with us I thought it was a really awesome uh, very very enlightened conversation Uh, so um, Kara thank you for coming on how can we reach you Uh, probably the easiest way is through my website 
it's www.carasax.com. I thought I'd make it easy. Um, yeah, and you can you can schedule uh, some time with me. I have a blog. I also have a resources page. Um, you know, just all, all kinds of interesting stuff that I found that might be helpful to people. Um, please reach out. I would love to talk with you. Uh, and I'm also I just for folks who have chronic illnesses, I've just been working on launching a a um, a closed face a free closed Facebook group for folks uh, with a positive focus to help people move forward. Um, and I'm working on uh, creating a, a group program that will be more affordable for folks uh, who are low income. So if folks are interested in that, I would love to hear from you too. Well, wonderful work and very powerful work and very important work to do. Thank you, Cara, for that. And um, thank you for being such a well-prepared guest and for really you brought up so many very, very valid points and there, you know, so much knowledge and sharing your own experience uh, that that takes a lot of courage, and it really does. It takes a lot of empathy, a lot of bravery, and um, so I, I appreciate you stepping out there, stepping out of your own comfort zone, and really, you know, enlightening. I think a lot of people that have a certain viewpoint on the on the topic at hand, and try to to kind of shift some some perspectives tonight, so that we can live in harmony, which is what this show is all about. So I'm so glad that you were able to join us and to to lend that experience because I couldn't do this show. So um, I really appreciate the uh, expertise that you lent uh, tonight. So thank you so much for your time and for coming on. Thank you. This was fun. Oh yeah. I told you what have fun. So um, <laughs> we're going to wrap up the show for tonight. Um, episode 54, the stigma of disabilities. Uh, replenish me Cordelia Gaffar Wednesday September 25th it's a week from tonight live at 7pm on the Life Coach chat channel Money Magic Gold Con Tuesday September 24th live at 4pm on the East Coast Life Coach chat channel Erica Wheeler Light Show Monday twice a month 11.30am Eastern on the Life Coach chat channel or go to wethelight.com for her schedule of upcoming events food for the poor 800-427-9104 or www.foodforthepoor.org they're doing a big fundraiser for haiti half half the country of haiti is malnourished and in you know desperate shape of starvation with some of the stuff going on there please help them food for the poor 800-427-9104 map international that's map international 800-225-8550 or www.map.org. They still have the Hurricane Dorian uh, emergency kits that you can uh, donate to people in need there, so please do so. And in wrapping up, you know, the show for tonight, people with disabilities or chronic illness do have a lot to offer. They have so much to offer to people. So take the time. Get out of your comfort zone. So many times on this show, you have to go out of your comfort zone. Listen and you know, pay attention and go out of your way to get to know that person. You know, there's fear that society drives in us for a reason. Get beyond that fear and recognize that we're all children of God. We're all here for a unique purpose. You can reach me in my practice on my website. It's frankjamadurycoaching.com, uh, Frank Jamadurry Professional Coaching on Facebook. 
Uh, books are available on Amazon, The Promise of Tomorrow, The Poetry Book, and Reflections of the Passion, A Modern Guide to the Stations of the Cross. So many of those people, they say, well, you have crosses to carry in life. We all do. You know, people with disabilities, physical or otherwise, have outward or inward crosses they carry. So that book may help them. And all the proceeds go to charity. I want to thank the audience for their support of this program, for staying with us tonight, and to announce my next show, which is episode 55, two weeks from tonight, Wednesday, October the 2nd. Nadia Tenorio returns. Nadia was a guest on episode 46, The Barriers to Effective Communication Show. I had a cancellation. Nadia is kind of like my backup, and she was very, very well liked the first time through. And so by popular demand, she's back because people had asked, hey, can she come back on? And she was thrilled to come back on. So we're going to be doing a show. We haven't decided the title yet. It's going to be something along the lines of following your dreams versus the societal pressures or the societal realities. You know, Nadia has a, a degree and some experience in the arts. So we're going to talk about how society kind of puts down the arts and kind of puts down, oh, you want to become a poet or you want to do this, you want to do that. It's not going to pay the bills. But some of those people have overcome that and really inspired people and really done very powerful work. So that's what our show is going to be about, episode 55, Wednesday, October 2nd, with Nadia Tenorio back for her second time as a guest on the program. So until then, for Russ Terry, for Danica Treble, for all my fellow co-hosts on the Life Coach Radio Network, I'm your host, Frank J. Maduri. Thank you so much for listening, everyone near and far from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And thank you to Kara for joining the show tonight. And as always, be blessed and be well. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.